Have your Bibles, go to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter number 4, and we're joking about the title of the lesson today, I guess that would be uh, the main, if you would, title, but the subtitle I guess would be something like this, what to do when you know that you do not know, (laughs) all right, that's even more confusing, all right, and uh, there is, if you would, biblical instruction on Uh, times when you just don't know what to do. And you may have been there. I think if you've lived any length of time, I think all of us go through those times where we finish a conversation with that phrase, I don't know. Uh, I think I've said that more in the last three or four months than I've hit in my whole life uh, because of what we're surrounded with and what we're presented uh, today. Second Kings chapter number four, and we'll pick it up in verse number one. Very incredible story, interesting story uh, that is given to us by uh, the prophet, prophet Elisha. Verse number one. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thine house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go and borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon uh, thy sons and shalt pour out into all the vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon, uh, uh, upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass that when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet another vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed and she said, and she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. You pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. Thank you, Lord, for these that are here. Thank you for the scripture today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, navigate through, uh, Lord, these, uh, these days. I pray that you'd help us as we all have probably asked that same question and made that same statement. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to know what to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever... F- found yourself here and, uh, and you didn't, uh, know exactly how you even got here and, uh, and how you're going to get yourself out of here. I can give you story after story of things that have happened in my life and say, how did I get here? And, uh, and then the, uh, the other question is, what am I going to do to get myself out of this place? And maybe you had a big decision to make. Maybe there's something that you're facing right now that you don't know what to do. And, uh, it's, uh, it's big on both sides. And some decisions are easy to make. I mean, between right and wrong, you do right. But sometimes decisions are right and right. And sometimes that's a difficult decision to make and what to do. Well, we've got a lot right now. Uh, maybe you have a wayward child and, uh, and breaking your heart. We heard Luke chapter 15 in the Sunday school lesson from just brother Justin this morning. And you don't know what to do with this child. You don't know what to do with this teenager. And, uh, maybe it's something that you did that, can I say it this way? Something you did that was stupid and you shouldn't have done it. And you don't now what now, what am I going to do? 
And uh, and uh, and so when you look at this, and I think all of us have been faced with that. You look at the environment that we're in right now. And uh, I, I have, as I said, I have been puzzled uh, to uh, to the extent where uh, people would ask me, Pastor, what are we doing? And I would have to be honest. I, I don't know. I talk to pastors that are saying the same thing, and and I appreciate those that understand a little bit of what the pastors are going through and saying, hey, I can't imagine what you're going through. I'm praying for you because we just sometimes are presented with some very interesting stuff that we really don't. COVID-19 is crazy right now. And uh, and the response to uh, that, uh, (laughs) how about the vaccine? (laughs) Pastor, should I take the vaccine? Uh, you know, I, I'm not taking it, but I don't know if you should take it or not. You pray about it. Are you all with me today? Now everyone in the church is not going to take it because Pastor Shepherd is not going to take it. Okay? And it's not because I think the mark of the beast is in it. It's, because it's a little too fast for me for, for the safety of it. I don't, just don't, don't trust yet. Okay? And I brought back, black lives matter. How about that one? You know, that's a mess. You know, what that's doing. You ever ask somebody that believes in that ideology? So what's, what's your doctrine? What do you believe? What do you want? And they can't articulate that. LBGTQ and all the stuff that's coming from that whole genre of people. And, uh, and of course, the church, as Brother Charlie Clark is going through, uh, the challenges that are coming from the governor of the state of New Jersey against the churches there, Nevada, Mississippi, and other places that are really uh, overreach, if you would, from the Constitution and to our freedom to uh, worship as a people. Challenging. What do you do? Uh, I found in the scriptures, as I, as I and my wife were talking uh, the other night, and uh, we were having, uh, com- we, we, we talk ourselves to sleep. That's what we do. We go to bed and we just talk. And, uh, and, and we de- not debate, but she, she, she and I discuss these issues. And typically when we finish now, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> and we usually go to bed with those last words. But I remember that when I look at the scripture, we're not alone. There's, there's many times in the scriptures that people of God have also had that same question. I really don't know. In fact, in the book of Daniel chapter 3, if you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they would not bow down to the golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected there in Babylon, here's what they said to him uh, uh, when they were now going to be sentenced to death by execution in the fiery furnace, which was going to be heated seven times hotter. Here's what they said. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of the, thine hand, O king. Then verse 18, I think we can all identify, but if not, but if not. In other words, if he doesn't do it, be it known, O, thee, o king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship thy golden image which thou hast set up. So in, in other words... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know. They were faced with a trial. They were faced with execution. And their response was, we don't know what God's going to do. How about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, where verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance... 
And it says in the same verse, and he went out not knowing whether he went. Hey, Sarah, pack the bags. We're going to go. Oh, wonderful. Where are we going? I don't know where we're going to go. I just know we're going to go. Okay, do, do, do I plan for, the, every woman would ask, a two-day trip or a five? No, we're actually not coming back here. So everything, the, everything is got, okay, so do you have a destination? No, I don't know where I am going, but I, I got to go. Can you imagine, ladies, if that were your husband coming home to you and saying, God's called me, but I don't know where it is. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I'm saying that there are times, there are situations that we go through that we have to be really honest with ourselves and even with people around us that we really don't know what to do. But when you look at scriptures and you look at principles in scriptures, this is a very familiar problem throughout the Bible. In fact, you'll find several stories in the scriptures that, man, they didn't know what to do, but they followed, if you would, a procedure. So what do you do when you know you don't know? What do you do? What do you do in this environment? How do you navigate? How does a pastor navigate a congregation through this? Do we shut down? Do we not shut down? Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Do we follow the government's mandate of having a six-foot distance between us, or we do we not? Uh, do we have the black uh, or the uh, uh, the uh, SSBC, or do we not? Do I go to Atlanta as we we canceled yes uh, uh, tomorrow or not? It's cancellations and plans are all all but normal anymore. It's incredible what pastors are having to go through in churches because we just don't know. But what do you do when you know you don't know? The story is interesting because it takes us to a very desperate woman. And when we just, you consider this woman, she's she's caught in one of those life contradictions, things that happened to her that she did not plan for. Listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen, when you get married, you have no idea what 10 years is going to do to your life. You don't know. Uh, I, I look at young people and they, they, they're so in love and boy, till death do us part and they can't wait to put the kiss on the lips and, and then they leave and then she gets cancer or he loses his job or the contradictions of life hit them. And next thing you know, they're in a desperate situation. This is a normal occurrence with God's people. This is a normal occurrence with anyone because we're in a sin cursed world. But here this story is in the midst of a crisis and she's coming face to face with some challenges and contradictions and circumstances and hardships. And, and this is a real issue because it's going to affect not only her, but it's going to affect her children. And so it's been said that desperate times calls for desperate measures. And so this woman, this widow, she's in the midst of a, a, a time that she never thought that she would have come to her. She never thought that she would be a widow. Uh, she never thought that she would be in this kind of debt. She never thought that the creditor that she owes the money to has a biblical right based on the Levitical law, to come and take her boys to be bond servants, probably never to see them again. 
And so she's desperate. She's laying awake at night. She's thinking about the circumstances. She's thinking, I'm not going to have my boys. And by the way, this is in a patriarchal society. When you're a widow in this society, you're in bad shape. You're in real bad shape. You just don't go out and get a job, ladies, in this environment. Uh, this is a, this is a, if you want a sentence to death. And she's going to lose her boys. She's lost her husband. She doesn't have any money. She's in danger of losing her children. And, and, and so for those mothers that are here this morning, can you just identify with her for a little bit? And think about this. You talk about a mama. A mama bear uh, loves those children. And she's going to do everything she can to protect them. This is a desperate situation. It's going to require some real miracle to get through this. And so nearly every mother can identify why because you're trying to keep your family together you don't want to sit down at a at a dinner table and your son or your daughter are not there they're at a slave camp they're somewhere else no mother wants that no father should want that we want our families to stay together desperate so the woman comes to elisha now i call him elisha But when I went to Israel, they do not call him Elisha. The Jewish people do not call him Elisha. They call him Elisha. And I have a problem with the word Elisha because I feel that if I get to heaven, he's going to find me and punch me in the mouth for calling him that. You all with me? I don't want that. I think it's Elisha. Okay, not Elisha. You all with me? So if you go to Israel, say, who's that? Oh, Elisha, Elisha, Elisha. Uh, No, Elisha. I'll say Elisha. I'm right. You're wrong. So nearly every mother will do anything they can to do this to protect us. So she comes to Elisha. I need help. If you would, you'll find in verse number one, the phrase here. And now verse one, there cried a certain woman cried. So number one, what do I do when I don't know what to do? Or what do I do when I know I don't know? Okay, watch this. Number one, ask. Very simple. Ask. Now there's a petition here. There's a request here. There's a cry here. It's an appeal for help. She doesn't know where else to go. She's going to, if you would, God's representative. <clears throat> this is the prophet Elisha. And she's going to him and she says, I need help. I need someone to come and help me and aid me. And so in coming to Elisha, can I say it this way? She, in effect, is seeking God. When she's coming to Elisha, she's going to the man of God because in those days, the man of God represented God. And what he said was, if you would, the oracles of God was spoken by God. Are you all with me this morning? So as she's approaching Elisha, she's coming, if you would, to God. And she's saying, I need help. I need help. And and we know that uh, she makes a statement here in verse number four. And there cried a woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. She is a preacher's wife. She's married to a prophet. Uh, of, of the sons of the prophets. And it says very interestingly uh, unto Elijah saying, thy servant, my husband is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant, listen to this, did fear the Lord. He was a good man. And Elijah, you know him. He had a good testimony. And he was a one that feared God. 
And so she's coming to him and reminding him about her husband and, and that he was a good man. And, and the husband now uh, is, is dead and he was in the ministry and she came from a good family. She's done everything right. She's gone the right way. She's reared her children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. She's asking and she's pleading and she's crying out to God. And you'll find throughout the scriptures that Many times God's people come to that place where there's no place else to go but to God and ask, I need help. I see the prophet Isaiah in the midst of a divided kingdom when uh, when Israel was uh, separate from Judah. And I see that prophet in the midst of that crisis in Isaiah 64, verse number one. Oh, that thou wouldest rent the heavens and thou wouldest come down that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. And, and when the melting fire burneth and the fire causeth the waters to boil to make thy name known to the adversaries that the nations may tremble at thy presence. Isaiah is saying, we're in a mess. God, I'm crying out to you. I see a desperate cry in Mark chapter 10 where the blind man Bartimaeus uh, uh, went to uh, there uh, is sitting at the side of the road and, and he hears that Jesus is coming to that uh, particular town and he, he comes to Jesus and he, he cries out to the Lord Jesus Christ, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is a continual issue. Peter cried out to God and Samson cried out to God in the end of his life. And, and the woman of Zarephath cried out to God in Jeremiah. And all through the Bible, you'll find God's people, when they're desperate, cry out to God. They ask. It sounds like an appeal for help, and it sure is. And this woman is part of a long line of people who recognize that God is a source of their help. Listen, folks, and you know this, and I'm just reminding you this, that our hope for our country is not in the White House, is not in the courthouses, it is in the church house. It is in God's people pleading to God for help, pleading to God for mercy, pleading to God for wisdom. That's the first principle. Ask. Ask. You'll find that over and over again. I remember I preached the message years ago. On the subject, David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's a very interesting story. I'm not going to revisit all of that. But it's interesting when David returns from uh, battle, he goes back to Ziklag where his wives and his men lived and he sees it on fire. And you'll find the first thing he does is he gets a hold of God. He brings Abiathar, the priest, in. He says, I need you to ask God for me. I need help. And the people spake of stoning him. He had his life even threatened. What did he do when he didn't know what to do? He went to the one that could help. God. I ask you a couple of questions. The first question is, are you too proud to cry out to God for help? I've pastored long enough. I've seen more than you realize in ministry. I've seen the prideful people that come in and they got their, their noses in the air and they know more than God and they don't need anything from God. They'll not frequent an altar. They'll not take a prayer request. They'll not humble themselves because they got it all. It's the revelation of uh, 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 in church. I have need of nothing. I've had people tell me I don't need anything from God. I've had those words spoken to me. I see people come to the altar and they're getting right with God or they're making decisions. But pastor, I don't need anything from him. That's a dangerous place to be. We ought to be a people that are humble and realize we need help. 
It's amazing when you get around folks that are in desperate need and they just talk about business. They talk about sports, but they don't talk about the real need of their life. And they dance around the issue as if we'll just ignore it. It may be something that you're going through and say, pastor, friend, someone pray for me. Ask. That's what he did. And Matthew 7 says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And every one that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. To give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. Ask. What do I do when I don't know what to do? Ask. God, I need help. Every time I rehearse the story that I'm about to tell you, I always marvel. I always marvel at this. I have to sit and ponder these words. I'll take you back to 1787. It was June 28th. Four to five weeks, the colonies have been deliberating, trying to get a government together, trying to put a constitution together. They were basically living off a loose set of articles that got them through the war, but they could not come to an agreement. And Great Britain knew it. Great Britain knew, man, they're going to self-implode. They're going to destroy themselves, and we were going to. Everyone had their own interest. Everyone had their own desires, and they could not hammer out a constitution. They could not get it done. They argued. They bickered. They fought. They could not get, if you would, unity on a document to form this nation. June 28th, 1787, 81-year-old Benjamin Franklin, at this time in his life, could barely see, sitting there four weeks in the fifth week, listening to this, he presented a piece of legislation that could have been voted on that day. And here's what he said. I want you to listen to these words. Who, by the way, a lot of people believe that he was a deist, But when you read this, there's no way that Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Meaning that God created and he doesn't have any say or any desire in his creation at all. That's what a deist position is. When you read this, it's not, that's not, that's not him. Listen to this. He stands up. The small progress that we have made after four or five weeks Close attendance and continual reasoning with each other are different sediments on almost every question. Several of the last producing as many no's as eyes is methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom. Some we have been running out in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics, which having been formed with the seeds of their own delusion now no longer exists and have viewed modern states all around Europe, but found none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, 
and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us. It has happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the father of lights to illuminate our understanding. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? I have, sir, a long time, lived a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without this concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided over our little partial local interest. Our projects will be confounded and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to the future ages. And what is worse, mankind by here uh, after uh, from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war and conquest. I therefore beg To move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. And that one or more clergy of this city, which was Philadelphia, be requested to officiate in this service. He stops. He looks around. The delegation in Philadelphia was in that room. You can see it in Philadelphia. You can still see the seats that those men sat in. Hot summer night or day. There was a couple of mumbles. John Adams was against it. Some others were against it. They couldn't even get it to a vote. He scribbled, and I have the, the reference to his scribbling, Ben Franklin, on his On his uh, disapproval of what this assembly really was. Something happened that night. I don't know what it was. The next day, George Washington must have had some conversations with some of the other men. July 4th was approaching. They wanted to celebrate the birth of their country just a few years old. And in doing so, George Washington says, let's go down and spend some time in the church house. Let's get some clergymen to preach to us. And they did. 
Some historians say that they took three days and they went from church to church and they asked preachers to preach to them. Renew our mind. Pray for us. It was on the morning of July 4th and we celebrate July 4th, 1776. But July 4th, 1787 was indeed the day that formed our Constitution because in that day, George Washington leading the delegation down the street to a reformed Lutheran Calvinistic church. I was like, oh, man, really? But William Rogers was a Baptist, and he was the actual man that prayed in that church. William Rogers. He was a Baptist minister that put the colonial uniform on and fought in the war. And he stood up and prayed this prayer. And I want you to listen to this prayer. And after this prayer, they went back. And nine days later, they had a constitution that has been an amazing document that we have stood for and defended and bled for for 244 years. William Rogers offered these words. At this period, O Lord, Big with events, impenetrable by human scrutiny. We fervently recommend to thy fatherly notice that august body assembled in this city who compose our federal convention. Will it please thee, O thou eternal, I am, to favor them from this day to day with thy immediate presence Be thou their wisdom and their strength. Enable them to devise such measures as they prove happily instrumental for healing all divisions and promoting the good and welfare and uh, 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 the great of whole. And that the United States of America may furnish the world with an example of a free and permanent government, which shall be the result of human and mutual deliberation and which shall not like all other governments, whether ancient or modern, spring out from a mere chance or be established by force. We close this, our solemn address, by saying, as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, hath taught us, our Father. And they all began to say the Lord's Prayer. And they finished, they went back to work, and they got the Constitution ratified and done. But they didn't get it done without asking. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you know you don't know? Ask. Ask. Over and over again, we find that same principle. You have a problem with your child. Ask God. Give us wisdom. You have a problem with uh, a a habit or, or, or some besetting sin. God, I don't know what to do. Ask God. It may be a church, whatever it is. Ask God. God. Number two, go back to our text, if you would. In verse number two, the Bible says, and Elijah said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thine house? I want you to look at this. And she said, now look at this. Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house. Now, I've got to believe what she's saying. There's nothing. There's no bed. There's no dishes. There's nothing in the house. Except this one thing, she says, save a pot of oil. 
Now, had she had anything of value in the house, she would have said that. She's down to just a small little amount of oil. And she says to, to Elisha, oh, that's is all I have. And, and you'll find here that he gives her a very strange thing to do. Now, can I just say this and lay this down right here? There are times when you're following God's will and you're wondering, God, what are you doing here? How many have ever had that happen? I asked Brother Marshall, he and I were talking yesterday, and uh, he's leaving such a good church, and he's leaving such a good family, and it's very difficult for him. He, he wants to follow God's will, and he's following God's will, but he really doesn't know where he's going to do out there other than be an associate pastor. He's just following God and what God has for him. And I, I appreciate that. I think that's admirable to, to wait for God to shut the door, and God doesn't shut the door, and you're walking by faith as we all should. And Elijah asks her, what is in this house? And she says, I only have a little oil. He says, and I want you to think about this. Think about the equivalent of what she has. It would be like us going through our change drawer. Everything else is sold. The creditors have taken everything else. You've got your boys. And you go to that change drawer. You've got four or five, ten pennies, whatever it is. And that's all you have. It was valuable to her. And then verse number three, he says, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, empty, uh, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. He said, I want you to do this. Go to all the neighbors and find as many vessels as you can, but don't get a few of them. Get as many as you can. There was indication that the boys went and got this done. The the boys, you know why they're working? Because they don't want to go to the labor camp. Are y'all here? Uh, whatever we got to do, man. Can you imagine? Uh, we're going to go to be bond servants uh, and the creditors are going to come and take us away from our mommy. And uh, the prophet Elijah said that we can come by and get some vessels. Do you have any vessels? Any cup? Anything like that? Any cup? Any cup? Any kind of pot? Anything? Just anything. Give it to me. I got to take it back to home. Can you imagine the de- desperate measures that these boys were doing, trying to get as many vessels back to the house as they possibly can? And they did. And it says in verse number four, and when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shall pour out into all the ve- those vessels and thou shalt set it aside, which is full. So she went from him, shut the door upon her and upon her sons, indicating there's no girls, no daughters possibly, who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were for, full that she said unto her son, bring me yet another vessel. And he said unto her, I love this. I I love this because, you know, you see a faith of a child. How many understand that children, they have a lot of faith. They're going to do it. You you tell them that God can do it, and they they have dreams of God doing wonderful works. You want faith? Walk in that room right there and ask ask those kids what God can do. And they'll tell you some amazing things. You give them a prayer request, and they'll take it to God, and they'll believe it. Are you all here? They have no, if you would, preconceived ideas about God. They believe God can do it. He's powerful. He's all, all strength. You go in there. You want prayer requests to be answered? Go to that room right there and say, kids, pray for me. I'm in a need right now. Why? Because they believe God can do something. I believe that. I believe they believe it. I believe we have a problem with it, with God, but not them. So they come back with these vessels. I don't know. They probably had their little wagons. I don't know what they had. Someone else's wagon. They're pulling them, Amy, back to the house. And they're unloading them. And they're, they're putting them in the house. The door has to be shut. So they, I don't know how many oils and vessels of oil go into this house. But it's not a few. There's a lot there. And it's all kinds of, 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 uh, of vessels, small, big. And her 
response to this very strange command was, let's get it done. I believe God. So he asked her to go around this neighbor. He picked up a bunch of, and her choice makes a really interesting statement here. Her choice really is our choice to make as well. When we ask, watch this, when we ask of God help, we ought to be ready. Watch this. We ought to be ready to obey what he says. As strange as it is, what do you say, God? And they did. And they're all, by the way, there's all kinds of voices in this world today. Wow, pastors and all of us have to deal with voices. I think of the voice uh, uh, of, 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 of the government. We have the voice of the governor. We have the voice of the mayor. We have the voice of the president. Uh, we have all kinds of voices. We have all kinds of instructions. We have all kinds of standards and all kinds of things that we have, if you would, the choice to listen to. But when the circumstances are desperate and dire, where do we turn? Well, I'm going to go to YouTube and find out what he says. Oh, I'm going to pick up that author's book. I'm going to go to my friend who's hiding in a cabin up in northern Michigan. <laughs> all here. When we look at our circumstances and allow them to dictate whether we'll listen to God or not, we're going down a wrong path. Because God does have a voice. And you can't hear the voice. But he does have a voice. It's a powerful voice. I was going to preach a different message this morning on what happened to Elijah. When he was asked the question by God, what doest thou here, Elijah? Remember that when he ran from Jezebel and he's out there under a juniper tree wanting his life to be taken What a paradox that is. I'm running from Jezebel because she's going to kill me. But can you kill me? (laughs) What are you doing here, Elijah? Let me show you a couple of things, Elijah. I'm going to show you an earthquake. I'm going to show you wind. I'm going to show you some, some things that only I can do. But I'm going to speak to you. in a still small voice. Powerful. Powerful voice. The voice of God. And by the way, that voice is still speaking today. I should say at least a couple of things about this issue of listening. Number one, first of all, the problem isn't the issue whether God's speaking. Because he does speak. He speaks through the scripture. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. The scriptures speak. God speaks through the witness of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit guides you and helps you. God speaks through even men and women, servants of God. He brings in our lives and instructs us and gives us. And God speaks through the testimony of the church and <clears throat> the people to counsel us. And, and God speaks. And it's, a, if you would, a witness. And God speaks through even strange and peculiar instances. He speaks and he works. But are you listening to God? What voices are you listening to? The question isn't whether God still speaks. The question is whether we listen when he speaks. Elijah says, I want you to go get a bunch of vessels. Don't get a few. Get every neighbor you can and bring them back. Close the door and then start pouring it out. While that can't work, she doesn't even hesitate. Boys, you heard him. 
The second thing I want to say about this, there's a difference between listening to obey than listening just to listen. Let me just kind of work through this a little bit. There's a lot of people who come to church to listen just to listen. But then there are some that listen to obey. There's a huge difference. Being a, a hearer of the word only is one group of people, but being a doer of the word is another group of people. Watch this. You can listen to God and do nothing with what you've heard. Or you can listen to God and obey what he tells you through the scripture, through the witness of the Holy Spirit. If you would, through a pastor and through a spiritual advisor and others, that may be God's voice. And so there is a huge difference. In the military, they tell us, pay attention to details. How many military guys remember that, those words from your drill sergeants? Pay attention to details. Pay attention. Listen to the small things. Make sure you get it all. Make sure you understand. Pay attention to the smallest little deal. How many times, how many times and we understand that you can, you can hear, but sometimes you just don't let it go in the ear. It doesn't go any further. How many husbands know this, that you can hear your wife and not hear your wife? Are y'all here? She's just talking. All right. All right. There you go. Some of you guys are honest with me, and that's good. Four or five, you need some marriage counsel afterwards. We'll offer that. Okay? Okay? Yeah. You can hear your wife, and you don't listen to her. You don't hear her, really hear her. One preacher said, when he and his wife get into an argument, he says, okay, I heard you. I understand. And his wife responds by saying, you don't understand me until I think you understand me. (laughs) There's a big difference there. (laughs) And so there's a difference between listening and hearing and the connection between those two is where obedience comes in. And when you get it and you do it, that's moving from asking then to hearing and listening to what God tells you. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you know you don't know? Ask and listen. Listen. Turn the other voices off. Listen, guys, ladies, I like watching YouTube videos of prophecy. I love watching these guys. But please know they're making money on you. They're selling a book. They're trying to get you to like them. They're getting that because they get money. And I hear now these new things. I had a dream. Be careful of those. I dream this. Turn that off. Most of these people don't even know the book. They're headliners. All they do is take the headline and try to fit it into some kind of Bible prophecy. Be careful. They're making merchandise of you. They're selling you something. Anytime they go say, hey, shout out real quick to this. I'm going to tell you this little oil. (laughs) Turn it off. We're going to try and do a podcast here at our church and do something biblical. You know what we're going to do? We're not charging a thing. Not five hours a month. It's free. You can have it. Because God gave it to us freely. Be careful of the voices that you hear because voices are dangerous. And you find here that we need to decide to obey and listen. Ultimately, we must decide to obey really instruction. And you're you're, you're going to listen to God or you're not going to listen to God. You're going to trust God. You're not going to trust God. And here's the last point here. And I think I have, by the way, let me just kind of move uh, back here a little bit. Uh, When you ask, you need to listen and you do have to deal with other voices. The Bible tells us 
to try the spirits, whether they be of God. I've had people tell me the Holy Spirit's tell me such and such. And be very careful because you've got to try those spirits. There's a very dangerous um, ideology, if you would, just to follow a spirit. Because you could be following the wrong spirit. Be careful. I've, I'm, I can give you 40, 40 stories right now of people that I've seen for, through the years that have followed the Holy Spirit and got into a mess. And I'm saying they said they were following the Holy Spirit. They weren't following the Holy Spirit. They were following an unholy spirit. Family has voices. Don't follow your family. Don't follow the anti-government voice. Don't follow the BLM. Don't follow Fauci. Don't follow uh, necessarily the liberals' voices and the and the wine's voice. You follow first and foremost God's voice. Let God speak to your heart, and He'll give you the right direction to take. Number three, there's one final thing. I want you to just look at this. You find it had to be trust. There had to be trust. She had to come to a place where she was going to leave the man of God and know that she was doing right. Because, and it came to pass in verse number six, then the vessels were full and she said unto her, son, bring me yet another vessel. We need one more. <laughs> How many understand? You can imagine, can imagine this. Oil, by the way, is very hard to make in Israel. I've seen the process. It is difficult, especially with uh, the older ancient ways of making oil. It is not an easy thing to do. So if you have a cruise of oil or a pot of oil, you've got a very valuable thing. You cooked with that. You made bread with that. It was a, it was a part of you. You used it for lighting and so forth. Very much a commodity. And so there's multiple vessels now full. There's nothing else I can do. She's taken that vessel, that pot of oil, and she filled every vessel to the brim, set it aside. And she says to her sons in a room full of vessels, go get one more. And I love the response. There are no more. Woo! Glory to God. Good to go, boys. Awesome. They did what God told them to do, and they took it all the way to the very... I can imagine these boys coming in. You know, some they don't, kids have no filter. You know, they're walking in with you, and they're looking to, how about this one? That's a dog dish. It's a, it's a bowl. Can we have it? Can we take it back to us? Sure, take it. Oh, can we have that? that, that it's been set up for me years. It's my grandmother's. Can we just have it? Are you all here? There was no... Bowls, there were no vessels left in that area. All of our neighbors gave every vessel. I can't imagine how many vessels were there, but kudos to the boys. Wonderful boys. Good job. Your faith, because you trusted what God said. I have prayer with my boys at night, and I, and I love seeing their faith and, and hearing their prayers and having conversation with them about God, about what's coming, about their heart, and hear them pray to God about what God is doing in their heart and listening to their voice as they cry out to God. It's precious. And I'll give them a prayer request, you know, because they know how to pray. There's no filter. God can do it. God can change. One of my boys came to me the other day and they gave me one of those crazy what ifs. And it was something like, no, God can't do. I said to my first mind, God can't do that. And I listened to that little boy, but God could do it. Yeah, he could. You need to pray that way. Because God could do it. And I'm saying, folks, I'm saying that we should have the trust of a child 
because there was demonstration of total trust. Can you imagine these boys bringing all these vessels back to the house? Mom saying, how many do you have? Oh, there's another guy down the road who's going to give me more. He's cleaning out his attic right now, bringing them in. What are you doing with those vessels? Oh, we, we're broke and we're going to lose our house and we're going to be taken away. But God's going to do something great. Close the door. Now, I, this is a side note, but can you imagine the testimony of faith by this family for the whole town to see? The creditor comes to the house the next day. It's got, it's, this is a good movie plot. All right. Got the chains, I got the keys, I got the handcuffs. Bring the boys out. You owe. And they were well within their right to do it. And she already sold it, the oil, some of it, to pay the debt off and brings the cash out. And can you imagine the cash in the guy's hand? And debt's canceled. And the boy's saying, we're going back to bed. <laughs> Actually, we're going to go get a different bed. <laughs> we're going down to Walmart. we're going to have ourselves a new home because we're going to live on the rest of it. Can you imagine the neighbor saying, I never thought that would happen. Never thought God do that. What a testimony. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you know you don't know? Ask, listen, and trust. And trust. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust what God says he would do. You know what I'm doing in these days? I'm looking into this book right here. You direct me, God. I got the anti-maskers and I got the pro-maskers. I'm going to have a church split over those things. God, what do you want me to do? I've got those that hate the government and those that say we've got to bow down to everything they say. What do I do? God, you can tell us. We have all kinds of ideologies that can come into any kind of congregation. We need to follow God. Ask him. Listen and trust. Because I know this. We're coming to the end, folks. We're coming to the end. And that's an exciting thing. We're finishing this thing up. We're finishing it up. And God's coming back. But I would say, and I would dare say, that this particular story can repeat it over and over again. When they would ask, they came to the need, they asked. When they came to that need, they didn't ask just to ask, they didn't ask just to hear, they asked to listen, to obey. And then they just came to that place where they trusted God. It's going to be okay. Very interesting story. I read this, and I had to actually fact check this to make sure that it was true, but it indeed was a true story. Happened in 1990. 26-year-old man robbed the bank at gunpoint in Ottawa, Canada. The young man was named Danny Simpson. He was a a desperate young man. He needed money. And he made away with close to $6,000 from the bank. And and he was apprehended just a a, a short time after that by the police. And upon his arrest, uh, the gun had been used to confiscate, but was confiscated by the police. They took it back to the station. And he went to jail for six years. But they knew that this particular weapon was a different weapon. They haven't seen this type of weapon before. It was a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic pistol. There was only one of 100 made ever 
by the Ross Rifle Company in Quebec City in 1918, one of 100. The, the, the pistol that he used to rob the bank was worth over 100,000. $100,000, and he gets $6,000 six years in jail. And it's, it's a true story. And, and here's what I say when I, I look at it. And maybe, listen, maybe you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're in a desperate, desperate situation, but what you have in your hand is worth any, more than you can imagine. And, and just open it, and, and it, maybe it's just a little pot of oil. It may be just a small amount of faith, but... You're holding in that handful something that is so valuable. Use it. Ask. Listen. And, and by God's grace, trust what God's going to do. It's going to be all right. 